Wow, good morning. Wow. Palm Sunday. You know, today represents a very important moment in the life of Jesus. It was for him the point of no return. And for his followers, these next seven days, like I shared a little earlier, will be the most jubilant and the most horrific. Jesus is traveling from Jericho to Jerusalem. Does anybody know why Jesus is going to Jerusalem on this particular day? That's right. It's Passover. That's right. He's going to celebrate Passover, which is the annual celebration of any devout Jew. It's a celebration that's been going on for thousands of years, ever since the day of Israel's captivity in Egypt. Do you know why the Passover is celebrated? You see, this was to be the culmination of the Pharaoh and the Egyptian gods versus Yahweh. The final step in showing God's power and the release of his people who are in captivity for over 400 years. Let me just read you the story. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel, and he said to them, Go and take for yourself lambs according to your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood which is in that basin, apply some of that blood that is in the basin to the lintel and to the two doorposts, and none of you shall go outside that door until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. But when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the doorpost, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to come in to your house and strike you. And you shall keep this event as an ordinance for you and your children forever. So when you enter the land which the Lord's going to give you, just like he promised, you're going to keep this right. And when your children say to you, what does this right mean? Then you're going to say it's the Passover sacrifice to the Lord because he passed over the houses of the sons of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our homes. And the people bowed low and they worshiped. The angel of death passed over their homes. Literally why the Passover it's been celebrated as right up to today for over 4,000 years. Many of you know, this is where our church got its name. That's how we got the church of the Red Door. So Passover, just I mean, this is a big deal. And people from all over Israel were traveling into the city of Jerusalem to celebrate. Now, Jesus, remember, a rabbi himself is also coming to celebrate only this Passover. It's going to be very different any other Passover before. So what I need all of you to do is just use a little imagination this morning. Just envision on this road that Jesus is walking. There are literally hundreds if not thousands of other pilgrims walking along with him on this long and windy desert road from Jericho to Jerusalem. And just for a side note, Jesus will be walking through the Judean desert which is the same desert, if you remember, and throughout his life, that three years earlier, he fasted for 40 days. It's in this same desert where he was tempted by Satan to choose any other way but God. See, this road leads to the town of Bethany. And you may have heard the story of Beth the town of Bethany because Jesus has some friends there, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. 
Well, as he's traveling towards there, he receives word that his close friend Lazarus is really sick. Uh, They're quite sure if Jesus doesn't show up, he's going to die. Well, he dies before he gets there. In John 11, it says, so when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem. It's about two miles. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. So then Martha, when she heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. And Martha said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would have not died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And Jesus said to you, I mean, it's, you can imagine if any of you have gone through loss of someone close to you, you know that she, she's mourning, she's crying. And Jesus says to her, your brother will rise from the dead. And she says, I know that he'll rise in the resurrection on the last day. And she says, no, 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 no. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? And she says, yes, Lord. I've come to believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, and he who comes into the world. You know, from what we know about Mary and Martha, they've given up everything to follow Jesus. And their only real source of income was their brother. And now he's gone. Because, Ben, believe me, in that culture, they were quite literally alone. So I want you, again, you know, visualizing this, hundreds if not thousands of people are taking a shortcut. It's a shortcut through Bethany. And they see all this mourning going on, right? And all this crying, and there's this huge crowd of people gathered around Jesus. All right? They're all, and then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, let me just revisit John 11. Now, the other sister, Mary, when Mary came to the place where Jesus was, She saw him and fell at his feet, and she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled, and he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, see how much he loved him. But some of them said, could, could this man who opened the eyes of a man who was blind not have also kept his, this man, his friend, from dying? So Jesus, again, being deeply moved within, comes to the tomb. Now, it was basically a cave, and a stone was lying against it. And Jesus says, remove the stone. And Martha says, listen, she says, Lord, by this time, there's a stench. I mean, it's been four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you, that if you believe, you will see the glory of God. So they removed the stone. And Jesus raised his eye and he said, Father, I just want to thank you that you've heard me. But I know that you always hear me. Nevertheless, because of the people standing around, I said it so they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And out came the man who had died, bound, hand and foot, with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. And Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. I've read where some historians have said the reason he shouted, Lazarus, not just come out, is that because of the power of our creator 
Everybody would have come out of the tombs. Given life, he had to call him by name. Can you imagine now? I mean, here you are, a zombie-like person, really, starts walking out of the tomb, wrapped. I mean, this is an incredible moment. You got hundreds of people who are Jesus followers, and you got thousands of people, they've heard or they just were witness this event, and people are just amazed. And this is all happening before Jesus even gets to Jerusalem. His journey now takes him to the top of the Mount of Olives. Any of you that have been to Jerusalem, you, I mean, you know what it's like at the Mount of Olives, and you can look right down into the city. And down below in clear view, you can see the temple. You can see all around the city from up there. There's encampments and tents, and people are like tailgating all around the city. It's kind of like Coachella Fest. You know, they're out of hotel rooms, and people are camping everywhere in tents and stuff because the city generally only has about 50,000 people population. Well, now some historians said it grew to about 120,000. It's like us going from a half a million to 650,000, but everybody coming in for the, for the big feast or looking for places to sleep, places to stay. They're all over the mountainside, all over the Kidron Valley. You know, the day that Jesus chose to make his entry into Jerusalem is very, very important. And the way he chose to make his entrance is also very important. Jesus is coming down the Mount of Olives from the east side of the city. And every messianic prophecy speaks of the king the chosen one, entering in from the east. And every devout Jew would always probably have one eye fixed up on the east side of the mountain, especially at holy days like Passover, just in case the Messiah was making his appearance. Well, guess who's coming? We call it Palm Sunday, but that was not what it was called back then. It was actually called Lamb Selection Day. It's part of the Passover celebration where you would go and choose a lamb for your family to sacrifice it for the sins of your family. And you would do that at the end of the week, Friday. You would choose an unblemished lamb. Exodus 12, 5 says, for the sacrifice is for your family's sins. You know, you would take this innocent, unblemished, unblemished lamb, you would take it to the priest, and he would lay it on a stone altar. It would be tied up, and he would take a knife, and he'd have a bowl, and he would slice the innocent lamb's throat, letting the blood flow into the bowl that he had there, symbolizing there's a high price, something innocent, had to pay the price for the horrificness of what sin does to each and every one of us. Spilling of innocent blood. So why do you think Jesus chose Lamb Selection Day to make his entrance into Jerusalem? Do you remember what his cousin John the Baptist said after Jesus came out of 40 days of fasting out in the desert? Behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. So here you have it, all these people in town looking up, and they're hearing all this praise and noise up on the Mount of Olives, and 
Many of them begin to run towards, man, what's going on? They start running towards the hill. Could this be our king? Has he finally come? Well, let me just kind of set the story of, of, I mean, what's he riding on? How's he coming into town? Let me read you here Luke 19. It says, so here's Jesus coming out of Bethany. When he approached Bethpage and Bethany near the mountain that is called Olivet, he, spent two of, he sent two of his disciples. Go into the village ahead of you there. And as you enter, you're going to find a cult tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it. Bring it here. And if anybody asks you, why are you untying it? You just say the Lord needs it. So those who were sent left and found it just as he told them. And as he was untying the coat, the owner said, why do you untie my coat? And he said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. They threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. Now as he was going, they were spreading their cloaks on the road. And as soon as he was approaching, just near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles that they had been. They start shouting, blessed is the king. You get to see him. Blessed is the king, the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory. Oh my gosh, to the highest. And they're shouting and praying. And matter, and matter of fact, John tells us, and John 12 says, that they took branches. They took branches of palm trees. And they went out to meet him and began shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Indeed, the king, indeed, the king of Israel. Friends, listen, this is a really important moment here. Jesus has a choice. He knows exactly where this donkey's leading him. He's leading him right into the city of Jerusalem, which is going to lead to his death. Any moment, he could have just stopped and just turned around. I'm going back to Bethany. I don't want to do this. It was at the point of no return. People from all over the city are running up the hill to see what they believe is their Messiah, their Savior from Roman occupation. That's what they think's happening here. And what they see, believe me, it was not what they were expecting. Oh, no, no, no. They see that Jesus is not on a horse. He's on a donkey. They expected a lion of war. They expected their Messiah, their Savior, to be riding, riding a mighty war horse. Instead, he's on a donkey. So now the people are declaring, they're shouting, they're going, here, here is their king. They're saying he's the king, not Caesar. <laughs> okay, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord and waving the palm branches and laying them down in front. Look at, palm branches were a symbol for the nation of Israel, for their freedom and for their independence. I mean, the Romans knew that, okay? Friends, I'm telling you, things are getting tense. Things are getting really tense in town here. Even the Pharisees are freaking out. They knew, oh man, they know exactly what's going to be happening here. The crowd is shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, please save us. That's what it means, save us. Lord, save us. Hosanna, Hosanna, please deliver us. The king has come. The Pharisees freaking out, they run over to Jesus, and they say this. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus replied, I tell you, if these stop speaking, the stones will cry out. Listen, I don't want you to miss this. Jesus is saying something very important about all of creation, including you and including me. All through the Bible, 
beginning to end, it speaks of how creation, the wind, the waves, and the grass, and the stones, they recognize their creator. So we got this sort of a revolutionary parade making its way down into Jerusalem, fueled by all those stories and miracles and all that all these people have seen, and by this desire of the people to finally get a Messiah to free him from their Roman occupation. But then it says in Luke 19, when he, Jesus, approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it. What? Yeah, he sits there and goes, what? This is the moment everybody's been... Well, they've been waiting for it. Worship, praise, singing, dancing, thousands of people out in the middle of the sea. And all of a sudden, right in the middle of all of them, Jesus is in the middle of everything, surrounded, people waving to it, and he's crying. He's crying. Actually, John, the word that he uses actually implies that he was sobbing. Big difference between crying. You know that when you cry, you try to catch your breath. It's so bad. Listen to what Jesus says here. When he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city, and he wept over it, saying, If you had only known on this day, even you, the conditions for peace, but now they've been hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will put up a barricade against you, and they will surround you, and they're going to hem you in on every side, and they will level you to the ground. And throw down your children within you. And they will not leave in you one stone upon the other. Because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. You see, Jesus was talking about the future. About 40 years from then, when Rome would come and absolutely overtake the city of Jerusalem. Almost everyone in the city will either be killed or taken into captivity. The temple will literally be wiped off the face of the earth. Not one stone will be left on top of another. We see Jesus weeping for a people who even in their worship and their celebrations, they don't get it. He's not this king of might and power. I mean, mean, he is. But But where they missed the point is that he brings peace and love. Not a battle cry. Let me say it again. He's bringing, he's, he's all his, his whole walk about bringing peace and love, not a battle cry, but he's going, a heart's cry. A heart's cry for people that miss the point. So that begs the question of you and I. What do our lives, seriously, now think about that. What do our lives say about the real Jesus? 2,000 years later now, would we recognize him? I mean, if Jesus was to knock on your door today, you open the door, would you recognize him? If he's sitting right next to you this morning, would you know? How would you know? Is he who you've been looking for? Or is he a whole lot more? Would you recognize the real Jesus You know, I wonder. I think we all like the picture of Jesus, don't we, that forgives us of our sins. He's easy to follow. But what about the Jesus that says to us, take up your cross and follow me? How about the Jesus that says, I want you to abandon everything? What about the Jesus that says, the last will actually be 
first. Do we recognize that Jesus? Do we recognize the Jesus who comes to us, as Mother Teresa said, quote, in the distressing disguise of the poor, the sick, and the overlooked? Do you recognize that Jesus? Do you recognize the Jesus who doesn't work like the genie in a bottle? You know, it just gives us all our wishes. You know, it's easy to recognize Jesus. It is for me when things are going right, you know, when everything is working out and everything's kind of good, right? But do you recognize Jesus when you're at the bottom? When it seems like there isn't any other answers anywhere? When all your circumstances and your surroundings point in all these other directions, would you recognize him? And if you did, would you follow him under the circumstances that you're dealing with? I wonder. In close, everyone, I just want you to do something for me. I just want you to close your eyes just for a moment. And the best you can, the very best you can, in your mind's eye, I want you to picture Jesus weeping. Just put your eyes closed for just a minute or two here. Visualize him weeping. Can you see him at the tomb, weeping over his friend Lazarus and the loss and the pain that it caused in their life? Can you see Jesus? And right now he's coming down the hill weeping over a city and a people who don't even recognize him in which your eyes still closed. What do you think Jesus is weeping over in your life right now? What is it? Is he joining you? Is he joining with you in some pain? A loss? Disappointment? Or just the tough reality of life? Could it be that Jesus is weeping over your hard heart? Is he weeping over the parts of your life and my life? where we've refused to let him enter in? Is he weeping over a relationship or pattern in your life where you refuse to let him be king because, well, you're on the throne? Okay, friends, you can open your eyes. I didn't realize the grip the world had on me until I got off my throne and let Jesus rule my life. I was attending the CRD Recovery Fellowship just a couple of weeks ago. That's for those uh, with alcohol and drug-related issues. And I was attending to lend my support, because it's a wonderful ministry that Steve Percher, he's just stepped out to lead this. I want to be there to encourage him and strengthen him. Those that were in attendance began to share about their addiction and the control it had over their lives until they turned their life over to Jesus. And as the people around the room went and they started sharing about how their lives had gotten to a certain point and how Jesus came along, it, it came my turn. And Steve says, Paul, this isn't part of you. And I said, Steve, you're right. I, you know, I, I'm not addicted to alcohol or drugs. But I did have an addiction. I said, I was addicted to the pursuit of wealth. And I said, what fueled my addiction? I said, were strongholds in my life. 
I told them as I listened to these people share, you know, an addiction comes from something that's happened to you, right? There's something you're struggling with. And I told them, I said, what that did that day reminded me to when I was just a kid. I remember my first fight on the playground. It didn't end well for me. I remember being in a ball game and when the outfield and the ball comes, I dropped the ball. We lost the game. You know what comes after that from everyone. I remember asking this prettiest girl in class out, and she goes, I'll never go out with you. <laughs> Strongholds build over time. Became like the song, it'll become chains wrapped around us. Because you see, the strongholds that were in my life was poor self-esteem and pride. Because you see, you know what I did every time something like that came at me? You know what I did? I said, I'll show them. Oh, I'm going to be successful no matter what. And believe me, I did some things that I wish I never did to accumulate wealth. Those strongholds had a hold on me. But those strongholds turned into the addiction. And that addiction finally took me down. I lost everything. And I shared with the group. I said, I'm like you. I've lost everything. God kicked me off the throne. He took my place. (laughs) Everything changed. When I got off the throne and said, okay, you're on it, my life became peaceful. My life became secure. My life became fulfilled. Finally, friends, God wants nothing more than for you to open your heart. Let him in. Don't don't wait any longer Take Jesus all your cares, all your scars, all the things that since you were this big, whether it was a marriage breakup or family crisis or loss, whatever it is, he's there for you. It's like, don't be caught up in these strongholds. Remember, Jesus didn't come to earth and die and be crucified because he had nothing else to do. He came to set us free. Amazing grace. Don't wait any longer. Look at when he rode down that hill over 2,000 years ago on Palm Sunday, you know what he was thinking of? You and me. Please listen to me. You don't belong on the throne. You matter so much to God that he sent his one and only son so you could find peace, love, Fulfillment, salvation. We're going to partake in communion right now. So go ahead and grab your elements. And as we're preparing for communion, friends, you're holding in your hands the culmination of Jesus' life here on earth. You're here as we're celebrating these last few days, this holy week, which started triumphantly and then led to horrific death, and then, of course, to the resurrection. Friends, Jesus wants nothing more than today for anyone here who's got any shackles, any chains, no matter what. If, if it's your children, 
or your grandchildren. We're going to take a moment before we partake in this. Because Paul told us, the Apostle Paul said, hey, listen, before you ever partake in this sacrifice, this what we're doing here, the symbolism of what Jesus did for you, check your heart. Do you have something in your heart that you need to ask God for forgiveness for? Is there something you need to repent for? Is there someone your heart is broken over right now, family members, spouse, whatever? We're just going to take a moment. So just take a moment and take that to him. You know, the, uh, it's Thursday this week. They're having their Passover meal. Jesus knows what's coming Friday, you know. So in the middle of the meal, he gets up, takes a loaf of bread. You know, the bread represents unity. And he breaks the bread. I can imagine them looking, he goes, this is, my body, which is going to be broken for you. Do this always in remembrance of me. And when the meal is almost over, they have four glasses of wine. He grabs the third one. It's the glass of redemption. And again, I'm, I'm sure they're dumbfounded though he's spoken many times about that he needed to die but I'm sure they were dumbfounded and he takes a glass of redemption and he goes this is, represents my blood it's the blood of a new and everlasting covenant that's going to be shed for the forgiveness of your sin and your sin and your sin and your sin and your sin, and your sin, and your sin, and my sin. Do this always in remembrance of me. <sighs> Father, we thank you for sending your one and only Son to free us, to give us the opportunity to free us from the chains that sometimes can so easily imprison us. Father, help us, those who are here or their children or grandchildren or whatever crisis situation, whatever strong holds that are in their life, this is what you came to set us free. So, Father, as we walk through this holy week, may we not forget this tremendous story of you entering into the city. As you're coming down, your heart's broken because sometimes we just don't get it. But that didn't stop you. You went all the way to the cross because of the love that you had for us and showed us on Easter Sunday that there is life for all of us because of your tremendous sacrifice and the love of our Father in heaven. And for that, we are so grateful. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. Um, I'm not closing with a song. This is our closing right here at this point. Can I encourage you, love on your family this Easter. Encourage them. Spend some time on Good Friday if you can do it. Um, it just helps put life into perspective and what Jesus really did for us for the Good Friday service. And other than that, hope to see you all on Easter Sunday. God bless you.